Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. The world was made by God, and God also made us. There is a difference between the rest of creation and us in regard to God's creating purpose. You and I were created by God to actually part of his family, to to use our contemporary terminology, to have fellowship with him, to be those in close relationship with the Creator, enjoying His favor, His goodness, His blessing, experiencing His life, which is perfect goodness, being beneficiaries of His abundant grace, His great gifts. This is what we are made for, to know God, to love God, to be loved by God, to enjoy the presence of God, to live with God forever. This is what we are made for. Everything else, none of the the rest of the live animal creation, for example, was made with the design, such a design. But God created, it says in Genesis 1, man in his image, in his likeness, male and female. And in fact, we, he meant a high standing and rank for us. Human beings were placed on this earth to rule this creation on behalf of God. God's intentions in creating us were gracious, benevolent, kind. That's what we are made for. We only find our purpose of existence when we meet our creator and he comes into our life. However, the tragedy of humanity, as recorded also in the Bible, so the first two chapters, it's wonderful, man and his innocence, and chapter three, where the first parents, in the most trivial fashion, it would seem to us, set aside God's truth and received a lie, and forever, in the history up to this point, were cast out of God's presence. So now, We are separated from God. A gulf exists, a chasm exists between the Creator and us that we are not able able to cross. A chasm both in a a material dimension and also in a moral dimension. We are not able to reach out in a way and get to God where He is because of our physical limitations, which may have been there from the beginning. But God had come down to us. But we are not able to reach God because of a moral chasm. We have all fallen short of the glory of God by sin. It's not just that Adam sinned. We are all sinners in thought and word and practice. Self-centered, bitter, ungrateful, selfish, quarrelsome, jealous with evil 
corrupt desires. Well, the wonderful news, the fact that has been brought to us also by God at his own initiative is that even though we went away, God has a program, a plan, a means whereby we can be brought back to him, we can come back to him, he brings us back to him. And that is the gospel. It's the good news of salvation. And this good news of salvation is in Christ Jesus. Jesus identified historically as Jesus of Nazareth, who lived about 2,000 years ago, who in a brief three-year period of his public activity was known and recognized by those around him to be extraordinary, none other than God manifest in flesh, who had power over nature, over life and death, over the material world, over the hearts of people, who then, having demonstrated who he was, went on this incomprehensible route of program for his life, incomprehensible to his disciples, his followers around him, whereby he went to the cross and was put to death. And all the power uh, that he manifested in the previous days and weeks and years uh, were held at bay, where he allowed himself to be apprehended, nailed to a cross, and put to death. But this was no accident. This was God's solution to the human dilemma of our separation from God. God himself, in the person of Christ, came down to our world, experienced our death as our substitute so that he might give us his life. Christ also suffered for us the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. So this is the Christian good news, the gospel, the message of salvation. This was what was preached by the apostles in the first century as this good news of Jesus Christ was taken beyond the confines of Judea into the other parts of the world. And those who turned from whatever background they were, Jews, Gentiles, pagans, idolaters, whatever they were, whoever turned to Christ in faith and turned to the living and true God to serve him only, to trust in him, to receive Jesus as their Savior in their life, God made them children of God. To as many as received him, to them he gave power to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And these also he blessed with the manifestation of his own presence with them by giving them his spirit, transforming their lives. So now we are in Galatians chapter 3, and these believers have had their gospel somewhat distorted by malicious elements who have come into their midst by adding legalistic works to this simple message of turning to God and receiving life by faith. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes to Christians and asks them, reminding them of their initial experience when they turned to Christ and received life by faith in Christ. 
And he says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? This word suffer in the original can also mean merely experience, not necessarily a suffering. But the early Christians, many, when they turned to Jesus, the Savior, in faith, abandoning their idols and gods and abandoning their previous religious and often consequently other affiliations, they suffered. Now Paul is addressing these people as somehow in danger. He is amazed that they have so quickly abandoned the living God for a distorted gospel. And he, he tells them that any distorted gospel is no gospel at all. The gospel must be Jesus alone in an entirely Jesus for our righteousness. Otherwise, it's not the gospel. And so... When we come to Galatians chapter 3, he's challenging them in the, right of, in the light of their own prior experience. Did you experience so many things, the gift of the Spirit, the work of God in your midst, or even your own commitment to this new life by what you suffered, if that is the force of the verb here in verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain? Oh, foolish Galatians, he is writing to them, the, in the, to the churches in the region of Galatia, Western Turkey. Did you suffer so many things for nothing when you turned to Christ that now you are turning away to a distorted gospel, which instead of relying entirely on the work of Christ, you are also seeking to improve it by whatever measly contributions of your own religious works you could do. So did you experience or suffer so many things for nothing, if indeed? So he's not sure in the sense that he does not um, assume or give up right off the possibility that they can come back and be restored and no real danger has happened, but he's warning them of the danger that they are toying with. If indeed, he says, it was in vain. I haven't concluded that you have abandoned the true message and that you are in a hopeless situation now. You came to Christ by faith. Rely on the work of Christ and not your own works of the law. Verse 5 of Galatians 3, he asks them, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is a basic question. Hey, where was the real stuff? What was the real action connected with? What are the, the things that were correlated, connected with the manifestations that were powerful and real and authentic that showed you that it was the work of God? When the Apostle Paul came among them and they turned to the living God, having received the gospel, God showed his own presence among them through by working miracles. And his question is, hey, when did these miracles of God happen among you? Is it because you started, you know, getting circumcised, assuming a new diet? Is it because you started observing a new religious calendar that, God started performing miracles or God performed miracles in your midst? No, it wasn't. It was when they received the message of the gospel and accepted Christ into their lives. 
as their Savior and substitute. So does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law? No, he hadn't. Or by hearing with faith. Is that when you heard the message and received it in faith, that God actually did something? And again, these are rhetorical questions. And the answer is a simple, oh, it was when we heard in faith and responded. And then in verse 6, the apostle adds this, And what happened to you? Your experience in regard to a saving relationship with God has always been the standard of such an experience. What do you mean? No one was ever saved by works. The evidence that the means whereby we come into a relationship with the living and true God, where we are justified, where our guilt and fallenness is not held against us, the ruling principle in regard to this possibility is not our own religious works and deeds, but trusting in God, turning to God in faith and believing in Him. This is already stated in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis in chapter 15, about Abraham, when it says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. When it comes to God, what you and I need is righteousness. That is, in the court of God, we are guilty. And we need some means of acquittal. Because as long as our guilt remains, we cannot have a real relationship with God. And we receive this acquittal, this justification, being declared not guilty when we turn to God in faith. When Abraham believed God, he counted that for him as righteousness. When you turn to God in faith by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, God counts that for you as righteousness. Salvation is by faith. And the gift of righteousness is by turning to God in faith, who imputes, reckons our faith toward Him as righteousness. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.